So we're going, to be, we're going to be going through a bunch of questions today. And the, kind of the whole, the whole reason why we decided to do this, we were talking around the office, and, and um, we're, we're just talking about some of the struggles that we have. And I was thinking about some of the most transformative times for me. And I remember being in my 20s and having kind of a crisis of faith where I was uh, raised in church. And I just all of a sudden had all these questions, things that I had never thought about before, about the Bible, about faith, and about science, and all this. And so it took me a long journey to kind of wrestle through a lot of those questions. And I've realized that I'm not the only one with questions. Is, um, this is our third service, and we have been overwhelmed with the amount of questions that we've gotten. So I think in the coming weeks, we're going to be tackling some of the, um, the more uh, popular questions that we've received that multiple people have, have sent in. And so we'll, we'll do that. But today, we're going to try to get through um, as many as we can. And so um, as you guys are texting in your questions, uh, we've already getting, we're already getting in a bunch, and so let me start with probably one of the more hard-hitting questions that we're going to get today, and the question is, do you prefer Starbucks or Pete's, is, what I, uh, is one of the questions that I just got in, and that is so incredibly obvious that Jesus would drink Pete's that I don't even know um, why someone would ask that. Yes, God bless you. Um, but, uh, but thank you. Hopefully, we'll get some more of those hard-hitting questions in today. Okay, um, whoa, some, so some of you guys are already giving me some really intense ones. So let's go with this one. Um, and by the way, we got a bunch in online too. So I'll, I'll start with one of those. Where does the existence of dinosaurs fit into the Bible? So yeah, so I was a youth pastor for a long time. And I remember a student that came up to me and he was learning about, uh, he was learning about evolution. He was learning about the age of the earth. He was just really wrestling with stuff. And he said, so we're learning about dinosaurs, which I'm like, you're in high school. I was this just now anyway. And so we're learning about dinosaurs. Um, can like, we believe in those? And I said, well, yeah, like they're, they're skeletal. <laughs> like, how do you not believe in them? And so we had to decide, okay, well, where do they fit into this whole creation narrative? And so um, a few of the questions I've gotten about evolution and about creation, a lot of it depends on how you interpret Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters. Because um, the way that you understand those f first two chapters is really going to shape the way that you view a lot of the science. Um, or the way that you view the science may, uh, may kind of help you or push you towards one interpretation or another. And so I'll kind of give you an overview and look, any questions I give today are not going to be super thorough, and so you're going to have to go, and you're probably going to have to dig a little bit deeper if you're interested in this stuff, but the, the whole Genesis uh, debate is about what age of the earth is kind of what a lot of people argue about. So on one side of the spectrum, you have young earth creationists, and they believe that Genesis teaches that the earth was created in six 24-hour literal days. And then you have on the other side of the spectrum, you have what's called old earth creationists. And they believe that the, that the Genesis account was not saying how things were created or not necessarily. It was primarily describing who created it. And then you got to jump in and you got to look at certain words like days, yom. What does that mean? And was it talking about an age of time, like a finite period of time? Or was it talking about a literal like 24-hour period? And, and so you got to wrestle with a lot of those questions. And then where you land on that might help you decide, okay, well, if I think it's old, the earth, uh, and the science seems to point towards that, and it's billions of years old, then dinosaurs, we probably go with what the modern consensus is, is that they lived millions of years before us, and there was no overlap between humans and dinosaurs, and, and it was just somewhere in that creation narrative prior to, to humans. If you're a young earth creationist, um, you might point towards certain Bible verses where in uh, the Old Testament, there's things that were described as dragons, right? And not like dragons, like flying, like breathing fire, but some reptilian kind of, uh, of animal. 
And also they talk about behemoths, that there was some huge animal and we couldn't really understand. And so you can point at those passages and kind of figure out, all right, maybe those are what it's talking about. So you really got to figure out what is Genesis all about. And if I get to it, and I I think some people have already uh, asked a question about evolution, we can talk about that. But a lot of it hinges on what you do with the first couple chapters of Genesis. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's see what else we got here. Um, uh, how? How? Okay. Oh, geez, some of these are hard. All right. Um, you guys, man, you're killing me. Okay, what do you tell? Oh, sorry, they're coming in so fast. What do you tell atheists when they tell you there is no way God exists in just a few words? I don't agree. <laughs> I don't know. Like, how do you tell them that? Um, okay. Um, so, how deep do I want to go in this? Okay, so when an atheist claims that there's no way that there is no God, what they're doing is they're making a positive claim. Okay, so normally people who you encounter don't claim that there is no way God exists. What they will say is something like, there's no evidence or it doesn't seem likely that God exists. But if a person is making a positive claim that God does not exist, well, then they're going to have to defend that position right, is you're going to have to tell me, okay, what evidence do you have that God does not exist? And there's really only one piece of evidence that you could point towards, toward God not existing, and that would be the problem of evil, which and maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. But most people that you encounter are not going to say God does not exist. They're just going to say, I don't think there's any evidence for God's existence, which is kind of more of an agnostic claim, like I'm not really sure. And so if somebody made that claim, um, I would be ready, if I were you, with a handful of arguments. And uh, if you've been in Rooted 4, you probably got to go through a book, and it's an apologetic book, um, and it talks about some of the arguments for God's existence. And it, it's a little bit tough, and some of it's technical, and you got to get into some philosophy and some science, but here's a little insider secret, is if you just learn the basic idea of an argument— most people, and this has been my experience, most people that you encounter that say there is no evidence for God is when you just rattle off a couple of the arguments, they're going to be so blown away because they've never actually thought about it that deeply that when you say that there are positive arguments and you rattle them off, they're just going to go, yeah, whatever, dude. You know, it's cool, I guess, you know. And so if you say, well, what about the cosmological argument? You know, what about the beginning of the universe, the Big Bang? Where did that come from? What about the fine-tuning of the universe? What, what about these objective moral values that we all seem to have? Or, or what about the emergence of life, the origin of life? How does chemistry turn into biology? Or what about Jesus' resurrection, the historicity of all these facts? And you start rallying off and they're going to go, yeah, for sure. Anyway, I'm over it. And so if I were you, uh, there's great resources out there. Um, I am a, a I love YouTube, right? And so you can go on and you can watch tons of discussions. We have, um, see, you guys don't know this, but we're super lucky because we get in some of the best philosophers in the world. Like we have somebody coming up, his name is J.P. Moreland. He is one of the top, top philosophers in the world. He's a Christian and he comes here and he tells us about funny stories and it's great. But um, look up people like him and William Lane Craig and there's different apologists that you can look up and you can see debates. And once you start that like YouTube spiral, you'll be on that thing for, for a week. So anyway, okay. Oh my goodness. Let's go with this. Um, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? Good question. Do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? No, um, because that would mean that you have done something to earn your salvation, right? And the whole gospel is there's nothing that you can do in order to earn your salvation. It is a free gift from God that you just have to accept. 
And so by having to do something, that would kind of negate the, the, the whole idea of grace and, and forgiveness. Now, do you need to be baptized if you are a Christian? Put that aside, that answer. Yes. So in the New Testament, there are no examples except for one, the cross, um, or the, the thief on the cross, who became a Christian and did not get baptized. And it was only because he didn't have the opportunity. Every other Christian in the scriptures, immediately when they accept Christ, they become baptized because it's just a part of um, the process of becoming a Christian is this is what's happened internally. Let me show you externally um, the change that has taken place in my life. Okay. Um, Can you please name some of the resources that explain God's existence or coexistence with science? So I rattled off a couple. you, if you're rooted, go to Rooted 4.0, and there's one uh, in there that we, we go through. I would get in that as quickly as you can. Um, people like William Lane Craig, you have guys like Frank Torek, and um, you have Lee Strobel, who we've had here before. If you just look up Christian apologetics, which is a defense of the faith, you're going to find an unlimited amount of resources. J.P. Moreland, a bunch of dudes like that. Okay. Um, why are there different religions? Seems like if you live in another part of the world, you will be exposed to different religions. Okay, so let's, uh, let's take this in a couple different ways here. Why are there different religions? Well, I think it's obvious that within us, we were made to worship. That every human that exists will worship something. That, it, that, that this is God's thumbprint on us, that he has created us to be worshipers. And so it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or you're a Buddhist or you're a Hindu, you were made to worship and so you will worship something. Now, just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean you don't worship because whatever you worship is where you find your value and your worth and your identity. And so I know lots of people who claim to not believe in God and yet they're just as religious as I am. But their religion might be pleasure or money or success or you name it, everybody's gonna worship something. And so I think there's something within us that has to worship And so whether we want to worship the true God or not is kind of up to us. And if we don't want to, we may end up worshiping something else. We may create a God in our own image. I think that um, in America, we have created, and I didn't think of this, there's a guy named Christian Smith who, uh, I believe he's from Notre Dame, he's a uh, a sociologist, and he said that America's religion is not Christianity anymore. It's moral therapeutic deism. And the whole concept behind it is we kind of take some of the beliefs of Christianity, like God is loving, and then we apply all the things that we want God to be like. So if I'm a good person, I go to heaven, God's not really concerned with what I do in my everyday life. He only kind of jumps in and helps out if I ask him to. He's just concerned with me being nice to other people and being a sweetheart. And that's kind of the American religion. And so it happens around the world is we create gods in our own image. And I think that happens throughout human history. And so... um, let me go a little bit further with this, is there's a, there was an um, assumption or maybe, maybe an underlying assumption there, which is it seems like whatever country you're born into, that's the religion that you end up practicing, which is partially true, right? Except for Christianity. It is the only one that really has uh, broken down all boundaries, geographical um, and, uh, and economic and social, as it seems to have spread to every different class and race and people. But a lot of religions are based on where you were born. Now, that doesn't mean that it's true or false, because if you were trying to point at, say, Christianity and say, the reason why you believe that is because you were born in America, and that's the you know, primary religion of America, and that's why you believe it, that's what's called in philosophy a genetic fallacy, is you're trying to disprove my belief based on how I came to believe it. 
And so that, that, doesn't, that doesn't prove if it's right or wrong. That just says, here's, why, here's how you have come to believe it. Now, the other question on this side, and I'm reading a lot, and this is one question. I'm assuming that this is where you're going. We'll give it a shot, all right? What about those people? So if you've ever traveled before, and you've gone to India, and you've gone to Africa, and, you, and let's, say, let's take India, for example, fascinating place, very religious people, primarily Hindu, and then some Buddhists, and then a very small percentage of now persecuted Christians. What about those people? What about the people who have never heard? They don't even know who Jesus is. What do you do with those people? Have you ever thought of that question before? What about the, the ultimate example is, what about the person who is born on this island in a village and they've never heard the name Jesus? What about those people? And so I would answer that in a couple different ways. Some of, uh, and they're going to be, you, you could pick and choose. I think all of them are valid. So the harsh answer would be, they're lost. Yeah, they're lost. We, we don't know. We don't know what happens to them. Is, is maybe um, they never know, and so they never have their opportunity, and so it's, it's poor luck for them. Okay, there's another option. Um, maybe it's based upon the, the knowledge that they had, how they responded to it. And so because they didn't know the name Jesus, and maybe they never heard the gospel, but they somehow had some natural revelation from God about who he is, and they responded in that way, then maybe God judges them based upon that. And so Christ's crucifixion is still covering them, even though they didn't know Jesus, because they responded to God's natural revelation. Or, here's a crazy one, this one's going to kind of maybe mess with your mind a little bit. What if, I'm not saying this is true, okay? <laughs> don't, don't say Cody said. No, no, no. I'm just giving you an option, Okay. What if God, in his um, omniscience, he knew who would choose him and who would accept him before they were even born? He knew that they were going to either, they were going to, they were going to follow or they're going to reject. And so he placed people in specific times and places based on that knowledge of knowing if they were going to accept or reject him. And so those who were going to reject him were placed in places in which they could reject him or it didn't matter if they heard or not. Just saying, I didn't make that up. That's not me. I'm just, I'm just here to deliver the message. Okay. Um, let's, why are you, you guys are like the most intense service so far. Last service, they were asking me like, what do you prefer, Ford or Chevy? And I'm like, okay, thank you. Here we go. <laughs> you know, like why 1045? What's up with you guys? All right. By the way, the answer obviously is Ford. <laughs> Duh. Thank you. Thank you. And I actually have a reason for it. Okay. And I'll talk to you because you're excited about it. Um, <laughs> Because think about this, right? Is Jesus, what did he ride? Donkey. What did Ford make? Bronco Mustang. God bless you. Okay. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's see here. Um, all right. What's, every service is asked this, so I guess we'll just do this. Uh, what's your view on same-sex relationships, marriages, raising families? Are they openly welcomed in our church? Okay, so let me start from the last question and work my way back. Are people in same-sex relationships or have attractions or whatever welcome here? Of course they're welcome here. Because um, I think what we've done here, and if that's you, we're so glad that you're here. We think that this is a great place for you to be. Because here's the thing, is, um, and I'll talk about our view on this really, really sensitive issue, but I think that we have made this, because this is a cultural hot spot for us right now, and if you had rewound 20 years, it would have been a totally different question 
right? Because every generation, it's, it has a different hot topic that it, that it kind of wrestles with, and this seems to be ours currently. And so we kind of elevate this to being like, ooh, this is the ultimate. And the reason why I don't talk about it all that much is because, um, not because I'm afraid to, but because I think that there are people who, um, percentage-wise, are, are struggling with uh, adultery, pornography, things like that. And so I'd much rather get in their kitchen and talk to them because there's a higher percentage of those people than I would the, any other group. And, and so um, I want to just, first of all, say, yes, they're well, you are so welcome here. We are so glad that you're here because guess what? Um, we may disagree on some really important stuff, and yet that does not mean that we cannot love each other, right? Because if you've ever been in marriage, yeah. And so there's a false... There's this false belief in our culture that in order to love somebody, you have to agree with everything. It's like, have you never been married before? This is crazy. <laughs> of course you don't have to agree. Like that, I don't even agree with half the stuff that I say, you know? Like how am I going to agree with, that's, that's crazy. Um, and, and so, yeah, tolerance is this hot topic, and we talk about to tolerance is I don't agree with you, and yet I still want to hear and give you the right to hear your own opinion, not tolerance is you say it, and I agree with it, and we are all okay. No, that's not how this works. So, uh, if you go back a few weeks, and I'd encourage you to watch this message if you weren't here, is in the Love Handle series, I talked about the purpose of marriage and um, sex and gender. And I talk about every hot topic in that message when it talks about, you know, homosexuality and it talks about divorce and we talk about premarital sex. We talk about all that fun stuff. Uh, I would go back and I would watch that. And here's kind of the, the, uh, the cliff notes on this is whenever Jesus was uh, encountered with a, a problem, and he, they had hot topics of the day as well, right? So the, the, the issue that people were struggling with in the first century was divorce. So people, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they came up and they said, all right, Jesus, what do you say about divorce? Is it permissible? And here's his response. He says in Matthew 19, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. He also says in Matthew 5, 32, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so what he does here, and I'll talk about divorce because I get a ton of those questions as well, is what he does here is he says, okay, when we're talking about um, sexual ethic, we're talking about marriage, let's not look at where we currently are. Because yeah, there's a lot of divorce that was going on and currently is today as well. And he says the reason why is because there's been hardness of heart. It's because we've strayed away from God. But if we want to know um, how this was supposed to look, let's go back to the very beginning. And then he begins to quote the Genesis account of creation. And he says, in the beginning, God created man and woman. And he only gives these two categories. It's a binary, uh, it's binary from the very beginning. He says there's man and there's woman. And there's this distinctness between them, this, this difference, is he says that they are equal in their worth and in their value, and yet they are completely different. That they're not a mirror image of one another, but they are a complementary image of each other. And so the, this complementary image is these two pieces coming together and making a whole. And they complement each other the most obvious way is physically, right? They complement one another. This is how we have kids and things like that. But they also complement each other in all the other arenas of life emotionally, spiritually, relationally, is God has given us these, these certain attributes, gen uh, generally, in men and in women to complement each other. 
And so the, the obvious example that I usually give is um, when it comes to parenting. Is this week, we were out of town and we we're, were having fun and, and uh, my, my kids end up with lots of um, boo-boos, right? And they skin their knee. And as soon as that happens, I could be standing right there with them. And they pop up, they look at me and go looking for mom immediately, right? Why? Because I say, don't waste another Band-Aid on this kid, okay? We've done enough. There's, it's not helping, all right? Just but they know that's going to be my response, and so they don't look for me. They look for mom. Now, yesterday, as I'm hanging out with them, what is the one thing that they wanted to do all day? Wrestle. They just want to wrestle, and they don't ask mom to wrestle because mom will mess up her nails if she wrestles. They wait for dad to come and wrestle. Why? Because there's something different that we complement one another, and so the, the design from the very beginning was that there would be these two equal yet different parts that come together. And so we see God's design at the very beginning and what this was supposed to look like. Now, the problem when we start talking about anything from divorce to premarital sex to homosexuality is we're starting to um, pervert God's d- original intention and design. And when we do that, things go bad. When we misuse God's creation, we start to use it according to what we believe and how we want it to operate, then something's going to break. And I think this happens in in all the different arenas. And so let's take marriage, for example. When we start looking at marriage as a consumer good, it's something that's going to make us happy, it's going to bring us personal satisfaction, and and then we decide we don't want to be married anymore, something breaks. And if any, if you, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, if you've ever experienced divorce, either personally or in your family, you know that it is a, a horrible situation, that, that nobody enjoys it, and it's because that was not God's intention. And so when we, when we misuse it, or we break it, that something's going to suffer. I believe the same is true when we're talking about gender and we're talking about homosexuality, is, is when we misuse this gift, and we instead trade these complementary pairs for two mirror images that something's going to break, that this is not how God intended it to be. And this is the same with when, it, when we talk about gender. It's throughout the entire scripture, we have these, these binaries, we have these, these, this dark and this light. We have man and we have woman. In fact, Paul talks about this idea that there's men and there's women and they're made to be one another, and this is the image of Christ and his church which is kind of strange, that somehow Christ and this church, that these are these complementary pairs that go together. And so the whole scripture is full of, these, uh, of this complementarity. And so when we're talking about homosexuality and things, it's such a sensitive su- subject, and, and there's so much emotion involved, and I get that. Um, but again, you are welcome here. We can agree to disagree. I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to tell you what the scripture says, and yet you can come here and go, well, I'm going to wrestle with that on my own. Good, great, glad that you're here. Because if it was a qualification for you to have your life together to be here, this place would be empty, right? Yeah. So, um, let's see here. Uh, Can a person be a Christian and not open to change? That's an interesting question. Um, I, I guess it would be what kind of change are you talking about, right? Uh, if, there's, if it's change in a positive or negative, it's change when it comes to faith and, and, and your, your worldview. Or, and so um, I'm assuming that you're talking about um, becoming more like Christ, like you become a Christian, but then you refuse to move from there. So you like cross the line of faith and you're like, I'm good, I'm in, you know? Um, I think that that would be, uh, that would be against what the, 
Jesus had in mind when he implemented this whole thing, right? Disciple means we're a follower, that we have a teacher, that we're walking in his footsteps, and we have this process called sanctification, which means becoming more like Jesus. And so it's not just about crossing some line of faith, but it's really about a journey that Paul talks about, that we're supposed to be running this so that we may receive the prize at the end. And so I think if you jump in and then you just stop there, you're kind of you're missing the whole point. Okay, do we have free will? I don't know. Do you think that you asked that question? Or were you determined to? <laughs> do, 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 do. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, I could elaborate on that, but we'll see if we'll see if anyone else brings this up. Okay. Um, evolution versus creation. Why do good people die from cancer? What is going on? All right. Can you lose your salvation? Thanks, guys. This is great. Um, all right, let's go with, uh, let's go with this, this one. This one's every service. Why do good people die from cancer? So the question is this, in more general, is uh, why do bad things happen to good people, right? And this is the question. This is probably the number one reason why people say they do not believe in God, and I get it, is because when they look at the world around them, especially if they've experienced or are experiencing some kind of pain and suffering, they think, okay, if there was a good God there who is all-powerful, he would stop this from happening. And emotionally, I get that, right? That makes total sense. But let's kind of dissect this problem and, and let's look at this from a few different perspectives. So the first perspective is, let's look at this philosophically, okay? So if we can, if we can distance ourselves a little bit from um, our own, you know, emotional connection to whatever kind of pain or suffering we're experiencing, and we look at this just philosophically, um, is, there, is it possible for God, a good and all-powerful God, to exist with evil and suffering in the world? And I think the answer is yes. And it's because, and we go back to the other question, which is free will, is it really depends on what God's intention was for creation, so did God create a world in which the most people would be happy, or did he create a world in which the most people would come into a saving relationship with him? Because if he created a world in which the most people would be simply happy, he's failing pretty miserably. But if he created a world in which the most free people would come into a saving relationship with him, well, then we can kind of understand why he might allow pain and suffering into the world. On just a, a practical level, when is the time in which you're most open to knowing about God or, or coming to Christ? It's not when you're just killing it in life and you're like, I'm rich, you know, like it's going so good right now. Where's God? I need to thank him, you know? No, you're going, yeah, I did it, you know? It's only in the moments of pain and suffering in which we're most open to, to spiritual things. And so you can understand why God would allow evil into the world. Now, I think that we play a huge part in this, that God has given us these good gifts, and with these good gifts, he gives us the ability to use them correctly or to uh, use them the way that we want to. Which, by the way, evil is, uh, is not, does not exist ontologically. That's kind of a big word. But the idea is that there are good gifts that God gives us. There's not like this thing called evil, and we, have, we can choose good and evil. We can choose the good gift and use it correctly, or we can use it in a perverse way, the way that he did not intend. And all the evil in the world is the result of us using God's good gifts in a perverse way, misusing those things. And, and so really, if you have free will and um, you get to choose to accept or reject God and his good gifts, then you're going to have the possibility of evil in the world. And that's what we experience, is we experience evil and suffering as a consequence of our own free choices. Now, it may not be our personal free choice. 
It might be somebody else's. It might be a result of a bad choice that somebody else has made, getting a car accident and it's somebody else's fault. You experience pain and suffering, but it wasn't your choice. But suffering and evil are in the world because this is how free choice works. This is how love works. Think about this. If you, if you got home from work, and uh, what's that movie where it was like a, it was a Desperate Housewives or something like that, where they were robots? Do you remember this? What is that? What's that movie? Stepford Wives. Stepford Wives. Okay, so let's imagine Stepford Wives. And you get home, and um, your spouse is there, and they open the door, and they go, hello, it's good to see you. And then, like, let's imagine that they had, like, a, an iPad right here, and it says, like, would you like a kiss? And you go, bing, yes, please. And they're like, Mwah. right? Okay, <laughs> you would not say that that is true love, right? Because love has to exist in a place in which I can choose to love or reject you. And so in order to experience true love, we have to have free will. And so if the, the whole purpose of God's creation was for us to be able to choose or reject him, to love him or not, then he had to give us freedom. And with that freedom comes incredible responsibility and the um, possibility of things going bad. Okay, real quick, let me throw one more thing in. Is why does God heal some and not others? And that is a good question. And I don't have an answer. Because I, I, I can give you a philosophical answer. And the philosophical answer is that we only see a very limited perspective of what's happening in the world. That we only see the time and the place that we exist. That we don't see the beginning from the end. We don't see how all things are interconnected. And that something happening here can have a ripple effect through time. And can change something in the future. We don't get to see all of those things. Only God gets to see those things. And so, you know, on, on one, one hand, we have to just trust that God sees something that we don't see. And we have to put our faith in, in, in what Paul says in Romans, that God's going to work out all things good for those who, who love him, that he's going to figure this out. And so one personal example is I think about our friend Nabil. Yeah. And when I think about Nabil, and if you don't know him, he was someone who we had speak here numerous times. And, and man, he had an incredible story. He was sold out for Christ. He was doing this thing and then he gets cancer at 32 and dies. And if I were God, I'd go, why? That guy, dude, he's doing an awesome job. Like, I gotta, I gotta make sure I heal him. I gotta make sure, because he's out there, and he's changing the world, and yet he doesn't. Why? I don't know. I don't know why. And so, we kind of have to sit in this place in which this is where our faith comes in, is what are our other options? That's sometimes where I go. I'm kind of a pessimist, right? And I go, at the end of the day, what are my other options in this deal? Because the circumstances aren't going to change. I can say, I can reject God, and now I've got a whole new set of issues. One, I have no hope that there's going to be anything in the end. That justice, that there's going to be reconciliation, that there's uh, redemption, there's nothing in the end. So if I reject God, I have a whole other set of issues. I've still got the problem. I have no solution whatsoever. And so I think the end of the day, we have to go, okay, God, I'm trusting that you've got this figured out. I think the ultimate example of this is the cross, is when Jesus dies on the cross, he is completely perfect, he is com completely obedient to the Father, and yet he is crucified and dies. That seems like the biggest tragedy in human history, and yet that's the very thing that saves mankind. And so I have to believe that God, although in the moment it feels completely wrong, like there's no way out, there's no way to redeem this, I have to trust that he has a plan in the end. Okay, um, let me see here. Whew, you guys have a lot of a lot of questions. Okay, how do I keep from getting mad at God? Well, I think it's okay sometimes to get mad at God. I just probably wouldn't stay there very long, right? I think it's okay to, he can handle it. 
Like, he's pretty confident. He's not going to be like, you hurt my feelings when you said that. That's rude. No, like, he's pretty confident, and so it's okay to express your anger, but I think that you have to keep pressing on. You can't stay there. You can't stay mad at God. You've got to continue to push through and go, God, like, he knows you're mad. I'm mad. I'm, I'm doubting. I'm frustrated. Help me move to this next place, and it's okay to get up, you know, in the mornings and go, God, I'm still mad. I'm still, I trust you, but I'm still mad. He can handle it. He's all right. Um, okay, I have time for one more. And again, we're going to do this in the next, uh, uh, next few weeks, and so I'll end with this one, is I got a, a message. Uh, we had a 24 hours where you could submit them online, and we got a ton online. And I read one, and I read it out loud to some people, and I couldn't believe the uh, controversy that it caused. And so I said, I will end with that this weekend. All right, so here was the question. As a Christian, can I watch Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah, right on. Okay, so here we go. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's, uh, I, I haven't seen it. I don't, you know, I don't have HBO. I'm not a big shot like you guys. And, uh, and it is like, a, the reason why it's controversial, I think, is because there, there's a ton of violence and things like that, but there's also these very graphic sex scenes in there, lots of nudity, things like that, from what I've been told. And so, uh, I, you know, that's why, you know, people are kind of wrestling with this issue. So, I don't want to make it just about Game of Thrones. Obviously, we're talking about any kind of stuff that we watch as Christians. Is it okay for us to be viewing this stuff? And so my initial thought was, I don't want to be legalistic, right? I don't want to tell you, no, you can't do this. That's straight from the pit of hell, and blah, 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 you know, and I don't do that. I don't. And, and so I, I wrestled with this, and I argued with some people throughout the week, different groups of people. And I said, what would you say? What do you think? And then um, my, my, my lesson that I learned in junior high came back to me. And here's what I think the right answer is. At least this is the answer I'm going to give, and then you can wrestle with it. The answer that my parents told me when I asked them why I can't watch this or I can't go here, they said, if Jesus were sitting next to you watching it, would you be okay with it? Exactly. And I thought, ah! <laughs> yeah, see, so you now you're going to be watching your show, and you're going to be thinking, Jesus, are you? Oh, <laughs> Ah, you see that? No? Okay, cool. Change it. Um, so that's the answer that I'll leave you with, is I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're going to have to figure it out on your own, but just imagine if Jesus were sitting next to you, would you go, <laughs> this is awesome, or would you go, oh gosh, change the channel quick, right? Okay? That's going to be the answer. All right, let me pray for us, and we're going to get going. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for this place where we can come, and we can wrestle with these questions of, of faith and doubt and and even some just real practical stuff of living out this faith. And so, Lord God, um, we just pray that you, would, uh, that you would continue to show up in this place, that you would continue to, to speak to us, that if we are, are in a season of doubt, that you would give us confidence. If, that, um, if we are, sh are struggling, that you would bring hope and that you would bring healing. And so, Lord God, we, uh, we're excited for the coming weeks and just some of the stuff that we get to wrestle with and uh, the community that we get to do it in. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.